So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we come before you once again this morning and ask you to be here with us, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with one another, wait, that sounds familiar. Has someone said that before? Still no laughter, that's really sad. So those are the first lines of the Declaration of Independence, the the document that led to the American freedom from Great Britain that we're celebrating across the country this weekend. And that freedom, really every freedom, is sort of how we've come to define ourselves. We, after all, we call ourselves the land of the free, do we not? And we're not alone. Every people longs to be free. From the Second Virginia Convention at St. John's Church in Richmond, where Patrick Henry stood up and shouted, give me liberty or give me death, to the highlands of Scotland, where William Wallace screamed with his last breath, they may take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. Freedom is our most precious possession. That's why Wallace's words are so moving to us. We'll sacrifice anything for the sake of our freedom. They may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. But that's just what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to take your freedom. Or more accurately, I'm going to tell you that you never really had it in the first place. I'm going to suggest the unthinkable, that you are not as free as you think you are. Now, since we all have a little bit of Patrick Henry and William Wallace in us, you might find your hackles rising at this point, the hair on the back of your neck standing up, your fight or flight reflex coming to attention. Not free, you're wondering. What is this clown talking about? But stay with me. We'll see together that first of all, when we actually examine our lives it's pretty normal and obvious that we're a lot less free than we thought. And finally, we'll see that our relative lack of freedom is counterintuitively actually wonderful good news. So that's my plan this morning. We're not free, and that's good news. So here we go. There is a thought-provoking, though ultimately not all that good, movie from 2011 called The Adjustment Bureau. You've seen this movie, which stars Matt Damon as a politician 
who falls in love with a girl. Now there's this sort of shadowy supernatural organization, the Adjustment Bureau of the title, and it's their job to keep us normal humans in line with the course that, quote, the director has planned out for us. It's a movie about fate, about predestination, and about freedom. And the plot really hinges on the fact that Matt Damon decides that even though it's not in the director's plan for him to be with this woman, he's going to exert his freedom and be with her no matter what. Now, the larger plot of the film brings up a lot of interesting things that we could talk about, but for this morning, I want to just focus on a particular scene. And it's a scene, ironically, in this movie about freedom that is a beautiful illustration of our human lack of freedom. The scene features the star, Matt Damon, making a speech, remember he's a politician, to a crowd of his supporters in which he's extolling his authenticity. When all of a sudden, he stops and he realizes that he's actually not that authentic at all. Here's what he says. You know, this isn't even my tie. This tie was selected for me by a group of specialists in Tenafly, New Jersey, who chose it over 56 other ties we tested. In fact, our data suggests that I have to stick to either a tie that is red or a tie that is blue. A yellow tie made it look as if I was taking my situation lightly. A silver tie meant that I'd forgotten my roots. My shoes. You know, shiny shoes we associate with high-priced lawyers and bankers. If you want to get a working man's vote, you've got to scuff up your shoes a little bit. But you can't scuff them up so much that you alienate the lawyers and the bankers because you need them to pay for the specialists back in Tenafly. So what is the proper scuffing amount? Do you know that we actually paid a consultant to tell us, and he holds up his shoe, that this is the perfect amount of scuffing. Does this kind of thinking sound familiar to you? It sounds like every single day. Now maybe you're still skeptical, perhaps you think that this kind of thing is unique to politicians. It isn't. Every single one of us stands in front of our closet every morning And our choosing our outfit is probably one of the freest decisions that we think we make. We stand in front of our closets in bondage. (laughs) We are bound, perhaps only subconsciously, by the impression that we want to make on the people we're going to see that day. We want them to respect us, or to think that we're cool, or to be impressed, or to notice our bodies, or to be aware that we can afford nice clothes. It's not that we're robots who lack freedom. It's that every decision we make is pressured by forces on every side. The email that you have to send, that you read over and over again until you make sure every single word is perfect. The phone call you have to make where you can't even dial the numbers until you take a deep breath and center yourself. So much of our lives is made up of responding 
to all of the things that are pressuring us on every side of doing the things we have to do or doing the things we have to do in the exact way that we feel like we have to do them. This isn't freedom. This bondage. So, we're not free. Happy Independence Day. <laughs> it's, it's not that we don't have a will, by the way. It's just that our wills aren't as free as we thought they were. Theologians have called our wills bound. It actually totally makes sense and is very simple when you think about it. Imagine you and your will standing in the center, but all the various forces in your life have thrown a lasso over it and are pulling it in all sorts of different directions. Your in-laws, your spouse, your friends, your employer, your plans for the future, the girl or boy that you hope will notice you, the mistakes you hope to avoid. You and your will pulled this way and that. That's all we're talking about here. And you've got enough of these ropes around you, enough forces pulling you, yanking you back and forth, that it's pretty hard to think of yourself as free. You and I are bound. Now, St. Paul, in our reading from Romans this morning, goes a step further and calls us slaves. Now, this is strong language, but he's got an important point to make. Thanks be to God, he says, that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Slaves. Ouch. But notice what he does. He only calls us slaves to give us good news. Thanks be to God, he says. We're not slaves to sin and the devil anymore. We're slaves to righteousness and to Jesus Christ. Before, with those ropes around us, we ran to and fro trying to satisfy the various forces that had lassos around us, trying to justify ourselves in the eyes of, well, everyone. But this only led to a kind of death. And you know the death he means, the lifeless, soul-crushing practice of trying to placate and satisfy everything and everyone in your life only to feel every single time that you're coming up short, that you're not doing well enough, that you are not good enough. And St. Paul says, what advantage did you then get from trying to do that in Romans 6, 21? From trying to save yourself, trying to justify yourself. The end of those things, he says, is death. But he goes on. But now, now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're not free, but we are slaves no longer to sin and death. St. Paul says that now we're enslaved to righteousness and to God. So that's better, I guess. It's an odd image, enslaved to God, especially to our American ears. Slavery to God. But let me explain it by telling you a story. I don't know if this story is true. It was told to me as true, and I hope that it is. Toward the end of the Civil War, before America's slaves were freed, a northerner went to a slave auction in the South and purchased a young slave girl. And as they walked away from the auction, as the girl wondered and feared what this new master would be like, the man turned to her and said, you're free. With amazement and probably a little suspicion, she responded, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yes, he said. And to say whatever I want to say? Yes, anything, came the response. And to be whatever I want to be? Yes. And even go wherever I want to go? Yes, he answered with a smile. You're free to go wherever you'd like. She looked at him intently, thought for a moment, and replied, then I will go with you. This is our slavery to Jesus Christ. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that you are not your own, that you were bought with a price, the precious blood of your Savior, Jesus Christ. This is how and why our current bondage can be such good news. We are bound to Christ. We cannot get away from him. And bondage to Christ isn't slavery. It is emancipation. It is freedom from trying to justify yourself, from trying to save yourself, and it is freedom to rest in the salvation of Christ. In baptism, we proclaim to you that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. You're his. This is good news. This is the gospel. You are not your own. Therefore, you are never on your own. When we stand before a holy God and have to answer for the lives we've lived, on our own is the very last place we would ever want to be. The wages of sin is death. As Paul says, on our own, death is the only outcome. But we are not on our own. We are Christ's. We are his. We are never 
on our own. And the benefit of being Christ's possession is eternal life with him. All the validation you seek from those phone calls, emails, wardrobe choices, job performances, relationship developments, all of it has lost its power over you. All the lassos that were wrapped around you, pulling you in a hundred different directions, have been loosed. Those cords were cut when Jesus cried, it is finished. In Christ, you have all the validation you'll ever need. Anytime you think someone's saying, and just who are you? You can say, I am his. I am Christ's possession. You walk willingly with your new master who has purchased you with his blood. Jesus says, to his children, to you and to me. I have bled for you. I have died for you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are not your own, and you are never on your own. You are Christ's, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and marked as his forever. Amen.